Hello, everybody. Um, welcome to the Salon. Welcome to Melbourne Recital Centre. My name is Marshall McGuire. I'm the Director of Programming here at the Centre, and it's a great pleasure to welcome you to our Salon tonight. I'm just going to introduce our speakers and a little bit about the program. Last year, in 2017, we introduced for the first time uh, an artist residency program, and we invited Paul Grabowski, the pianist, composer, academic and commentator, to be our artist in residence. And we invited Chloe Hooper to be our very first writer-in-residence. And the brief to Chloe was not to write reviews about concerts, because we read reviews all the time and we know about reviews, but we wanted someone to look behind the stories of the music. And Chloe sort of spent the whole year in the centre talking to everybody, all the staff, the audiences, the performers, hanging out backstage, listening to little snippets of conversations, walking home with international artists as they walk back to their hotels, gathering their stories and finding out what really drives musicians and people who love music. And it was th with that inspiration in mind that we thought this year we'd mix it up a little bit more and engage with the Emerging Writers Festival to identify some young, well, emerging writers um, to bring three different perspectives to uh, three different performances that we've had here at the centre. Those of you who know our music making will know that it's not just all classical chamber music, it covers an incredibly wide spectrum of musical activity and that's what they'll talk about tonight. Um, it's been a great pleasure to work with uh, Izzy Roberts Orr at the festival and all the staff there to bring this together and it gives me great pleasure now to welcome to the stage our three emerging writers, Adalia Nash Hussain, Jeannie Maxwell and Piri Altrade, hosted by Chloe Hooper. Please welcome them. Hello everyone and welcome and thank you for coming. Um, um, before we get started, uh, we'd just like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land and pay our respects to elders past and present. Um, it's lovely to be here and uh, to have the chance to um, join these three wonderful writers to, uh, for conversant and um, I guess that um, they have been and and that we will join them in, in grappling with the ways that traditional arts writing can be um, challenged and invigorated. And um, they were, um, Piri, Jeannie and Adalia were set a challenge or three challenges when they arrived at the recital centre to respond to three very different works. Um, the first being the Seattle-based solo artist and, and pop provocateur, Perfume Genius, uh, whose lush music um, often deals with transcending trauma. Um, then there was also Music for Our Changing Climate, an immersive performance piece by the Adlib Collective that invited listeners to consider climate change. And finally, a re musical retelling of Edgar Allan Poe's The Mask of Red Death. So um, we're very fortunate that uh, first off, Adalia is going to um, give us uh, a little taste of her first commissioned piece, which was in response to Perfume Genius. And I believe that we're also lucky enough to hear um, some of a composition that, um, that she has um, composed to go alongside her response. Thanks, Adalia.
Sorry, I'm reading off a very scrappy piece of paper. I can't leave anything alone. <laughs> All right. Generally, I prefer listening to music with the volume low. I am first given the ability to privately listen to music at the beginning of high school, and from here onwards I am perpetually tweaking the volume of my iPod and later iPhone to remain in the Goldilocks zone between uncomfortably loud and slightly difficult to hear. In my teens, I buy a practice mute for my violin so I can practice in my family's apartment at more antisocial hours. The mute is shiny and weighty and it sits snugly around the bridge of my instrument, almost like a grill. I begin to prefer the small tinny sound of it. After a few weeks, my violin teacher forces me to stop using it, says the quality of my sound has deteriorated. Perfume Genius's music is undeniably intimate and this, combined with the biographical details that singer Mike Hadrius has shared, encourages critics and reviewers to project a narrative onto his albums. His, soft, his sound and self have grown, fragility and trauma building to a transcendent boldness. Hadrius. What people describe as badass or strong usually has to do with volume. If the volume is up and loud, people think you're a badass. Throughout my classical training, the relationship between volume and dynamics is increasingly complicated. In simple music, piano either means soft, piano means soft and forte means loud. The character of the fortes and pianos is either identical or obvious. A timid piano, a boisterous forte. Hadrius. I guess the music only feels good when it makes me really uncomfortable to write and perform, you know, even when it's a bit out of my range and requires more of me than maybe I naturally have in the moment. Even though it started really meek and quiet, that was a lot for me to do at that point. And so I keep adding stuff on and doing it even though I know I'm afraid. I am a bad soloist in part because I am never able to create a piano that isn't also shy. A piano where my bow still makes weighty contact with the string. At university, my teacher brings it up in every lesson. You should hear a sort of sound under the note, he says, pushing my forearm into the string. What I miss most now is playing in orchestras. In the middle of a string section, carefully matching your bow strokes to the people around you, you become aware of your body as connected to the other bodies around you. There are these dramatic swells where the orchestra rises as one, and this collective energy overwhelms me, unlike anything else I've ever experienced. Time seems to hover in the melodrama, and I have to stop myself from laughing out loud. Hadrius often pauses slightly on consonants, stretching out S's especially. It's something my singing teacher warns against. Vocal sounds are purest and best projected on vowels. The consonants in Perfume Genius's music are sticky sweet, a guttural intimacy that slows time. In The New Yorker, Gia Tolentino describes the phenomena of in an empty mall edits of popular songs. Closing my eyes to listen, the spatial sensation of these recordings is palpable a manufactured sense of context that can sometimes be lost listening to recordings. There are some pieces where I still feel an echo of what it would be like to play them in an orchestra, where my heart leaps in that same way. They're moments that usually stress my partner out. On our second date, I take him to a concert my teacher has given me tickets to. The orchestra is playing a Tchaikovsky symphony that I've played before, and I squeeze his hand in anticipation for my favourite sections. Afterwards, when he tells me he found them too overwhelming, I am perplexed. Now I listen to these kinds of pieces less. I wonder if it's possible to hear that secondhand orchestral emotional overflow without feeling some sense of failure. Watching Perfume Genius Live gave a strange replication of that bodily pill that I, pull that I miss. In the concert hall, where I can't turn the volume up or down for comfort, Hadrius's dynamic control is incredible to witness. The quieter his voice is, the more tense it becomes. The more I feel the underlying tsh, I hang from it. 
and then I'm dropped into sound so dense I feel like I'm swimming through it, floating. Thank you. That was beautiful, thank you. Um, I, I guess, Dahlia, um, that leads us in a way to, or, or leads me to wonder if I could ask all of you about your your musical backgrounds. Um, and um, you, I, I came to the recital centre with really, you know, um, zero kind of um, credentials in terms of writing about music, but I know, Adelio, that you are classically trained and I wonder if you could sort of talk to us a little bit about... Um, music in your life and how that now fits in with the work you're doing and, and how you responded to the, the, the pieces that you, the, the performances you saw. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think out of the three of us, I'm the most like traditionally <laughs> musically trained in the like academy kind of um, sense. So yeah, I was, I started playing violin when I was maybe six or seven. Um, and yeah, I kept, continued, did like youth orchestras, all that kind of thing. And then I um, also, for my undergraduate, um, I did a part, alongside my main degree, I did a diploma of music on the violin. Um, so yeah, it's like a interesting environment, um, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I sort of wasn't really like that good. <laughs> or um, I could. Well, we don't believe you. Uh, <laughs> but you know, like performance wasn't um, performance wasn't sort of where I was where I was planning to go, and I was more drawn to writing. And um, so I sort of been working on that. Um, and then when uh, the Emerging Writers Festival posted about this residency, I was really excited to um, yeah get a chance to actually try and blend my writing and my music in a more sort of um, both like literally in terms of creating pieces of writing that are meant to be read while you listen to a piece of music that I've also put together um, but just also in terms of like trying to write about music is like actually not something I've done very much um, so yeah that was really really exciting. Fantastic. Um, I have no real, I have absolutely no training um, at all in music. Uh, it was something I, I was like a very passionate, like forum trawler as a teen. Um, I sent a lot of, I actually started up a lot of, I think, mutually beneficial, um, like email exchanges with like weird Canadian bands from like the ages of 15. Excellent. Well, I don't know 17. why you don't think you're credentialed to be here. <laughs> Um, but I was really scared off uh, music by um, kind of elitist snobby muso boys mm. who thought I couldn't have opinions because they didn't play music. So doing this, um, yeah, doing this residency has been like quite a kind Where of healing anyway? and validating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's been like a very healing uh, and validating Thing. I came at it as um, an aspiring critic. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really, I've been really, I feel like my eyes have been really opened in the past year to how generative uh, and positive and uh, exciting criticism can be. And like, uh, I try to approach it more as a form of sort of intertextuality and opening up. Yes. Um, so I was very excited by the chance to, yeah, bring that to music, which is sort of, yeah, music writing is a new genre for me. So that's my history, I guess. <laughs> Piri, can we put you in the spotlight? 
Yeah, um, I'm also not trained at all. Um, I guess my my musicality was definitely it was an ear thing and it was a life thing. Like it was just um, music was always around me. I just I guess. My, I'm a aficionado in listening, so like I, I will know about the music. I will have listened to it um, constantly and can talk about whatever, like the band or the genre. But music for me isn't just um, like making the music or making the sounds. It's also a text thing. I consider like with poetry and, and lyrical essays that the, there's music in the text and I like to write texts that almost sing mm-hmm. and they have rhythm and they mm-hmm. have lyrics and that's the music. Mm. So it, it's so inco- like composite for me is that it's not just what I'm hearing but what am I translating that into. And for me with this project it was the chance to respond in a way that um, disrupted a norm because I could never really write or respond in a way that was a, a norm. It was never a space that had me in mind. And I just was like, I just don't think about it that way. Like, that's totally not my experience. And I have to, um, what I would respond was just something that I'd always think, okay, but you probably never thought about it from this angle or this, you may not have had uh, thought about it from this experience and perspective. And so it was always disrupted. It was always, um, it was always, how can I, I'm just trying to think of the word in my mind, but yeah, it was always um, something that was non-traditional, non-conforming to the canon. Mm-hmm. So I was happy to, yeah, I was excited to have an opportunity to do that in this space where criticism, arts criticism is normally very much like a, a traditional essay format. Mm. And, yeah, I guess that's where I came at it from. And, yeah. You've all chosen to respond to the performances in non-traditional ways. And I'm, I'm curious about how you found... Uh, the form that that best suited um, your responses and the the kind of artistic decisions that led led to to that period. Do you want to talk about um, how I chose my form? Yeah, or? yeah. The first one. Um, so I kind of have a background with performance poetry. It's relatively new in that at least it's new in the sense of the frequency or the depth that I've explored it, like the increase of that is quite new. So, yeah, it was quite natural for me to think, how can I respond in that sense? Like I just kind of went straight into a poetic response. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to, I'm also interested in in crossing genres and crossing forms. And that was a part of the the passion that I had in in applying because I wanted to see how can we make different types of mediums talk to each other? How can we make text and song and... Um, and music intersect with each other. And so that's kind of where I went, especially with the first one. And I sort of had put together then a video that had footage um, alongside my (laughs) untrained (laughs) version of musical composition using my vocals. And then I had poetry as well. So this is the response I should also say for uh, this, tell the audience for and for those listening on the podcast, um, the response to Perfume Genius. That's right. Yeah, yeah, this was for Perfume Genius. So, yeah, that was and also what was the to me it was what was the message from that or what was the story what was the narrative that was speaking to me and it was really the message about trauma and that was then something I could translate to that unpacking that narrative 
in my experiences. So that was, yeah, how I chose my approach with that one. Mm-hmm. And then you've had a different, different, you've used a different sort of form again in your um, piece relating to climate change, is that? Yeah, for the climate change one, it was different again. I, um, I actually started with a, a found text, so it was a little bit more visual based. In that, when I looked at that, I there were pieces of the found text that stood out to me, which I then used as a springboard and responded with a lyrical kind of essay, again, of, with that musical element in it. And, um, and yeah, then it sort of became more on the page, well, I guess in this case, online, the page online <laughs> um, response to a piece, mm-hmm. yeah. Jeannie, you, you've, you've used um, hypertext and I, I mentioned when we, we first met how I, I really liked the way that um, it, it, it felt like it could sort of, there was some way in which it can replicate the, ex, the experience of listening to music, the, the feeling that you can, you, you can have simultaneous thoughts and um, tell us a little bit about why this felt like the right means to to explore arts writing? Sure. Um, Well, to start with, just for uh, anybody who's not familiar, hypertext uh, just refers to um, uh, basically website links. So if you can click on something on a screen and something happens, that's hypertext. Um, What I do or what I did for my Perfume Genius piece is essentially write sort of a lyrical, critical... Uh, piece that you had to navigate rather than um, on a website rather than just reading it sort of from A to B. Um, And I think, uh, yeah, I guess I spoke earlier about the idea of like criticism being generative um, and giving people entry points. And I think more and more in my work, um, and I think this is probably being affected by the fact that I work now, uh, like directing a festival um, and editing a magazine. All I want to do with my work is give people space um, and give, yeah, I like rather than writing something authoritative that people then respond to, um, I, I like to give people I like work that gives people space to move and that they can navigate kind of on their own terms. And particularly when you're when uh, writing about a performer whose work is so influenced by trauma, which kind of necessarily breaks down hierarchy and blurs boundaries, um, that felt like quite an important... That felt important to give a reader, yeah, that power or at least... I mean, reading is always active. Um, it's just not always obvious that it's active. We we make our own hierarchies, whether we like it or not, um, whether we're aware of it or not. And I think uh, one of the exciting things about interactive work is that it makes you acknowledge the fact that reading is, yeah, the reading is interpreting and it is... It is an active thing. Well, I guess you're also sort of actively preferencing where you where you click, well, yeah. where your interest is, <laughs> is is moving. Yeah, exactly. And you can spend as much time, the time you spend with particular parts of the piece is more apparent 
I think, um, which hopefully gives people pause for thought. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's sort of why that form interested me. For the next two that I wrote, I kind of went in different directions. Um, I, I should say also, Piri, that when you described your second piece, I, I haven't had the privilege of, of seeing it and I haven't seen the second pieces, um, and, um, but everybody should look online at these first fantastic offerings. Yeah. Um, Tell us about the, sec the, the your, your subsequent works. Oh, yeah, just, um, just that I didn't... Like, hypertext felt particularly relevant to that performance um, and to what I was trying to do in that performance. And one of the exciting things about this residency is because we had three performances we were responding to, uh, we could... Res I found myself, and I think we all did, responding to each of them in kind of radically different ways, mm. um, which was, exciting. yeah, it was very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Adalia, tell us a little bit about your, yeah. your methodology. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, like Jeannie um, and like Piri, um, yeah, mine are kind of different depending on the piece. Um, and yeah, the first piece, which you heard me read um, and also heard um, <laughs> was... Um, yeah, a piece of music that I made using sort of like found recordings of um, different performances by Perfume Genius. Um, and so a lot of them, like I distorted quite a lot or um, created really tiny loops that I made. Um, and so I sort of tried to create a piece that replicated the, um, I guess, sensation that I was trying to describe in the text and then tried to sort of slow down this really... Um, sort of uh, emotional, I guess, moment um, that I think that music can create um, and that I find really powerful. Um, and then it also just, in when I wrote it, it became more sad um, and personal, I guess, than just about a, like, cool piece of music thing. Um, and, yeah, and then for the, the changing climate piece, um, I've got, like, essay um, and then in, uh, as well accompanying it, I have sort of images and, like, watercolour paintings that I've been doing um, to do with because for that one, um, the, the changing climate piece, it was actually in this very room. Um, and there was, like, ice dripping down um, and, and a lot of it was sort of this very, um, like, image-based to me, I guess. And I think sometimes when we think of climate change um, and when we think of, like portraying things generally, especially in, like, the current news era or whatever, you think of images rather than sounds, mm -hmm. um, I guess. And I sort of um, thought that was interesting in terms of, like, trying to create a sound performance, obviously, that, that was happening here and then the images that worked into that. Um, yeah, I think, I think that, um, yeah, what was so great about this space is that I think that for... For criticism, yeah, there are, like, lots of really great sort of traditional essays out there about art, um, but that that's not... Um, sometimes it's nice to be able to meet things on the terms that you kind of feel relationships with it. With and like, Yeah, I think, yeah, like, Genie's with the hypertext is so incredible because it... Um, yeah, it does sort of replicate this kind of way that you interact with a text, and I think unlike, you know, like, when you see lots of links usually in articles, I think it 
inspires a feeling of like disconnectedness to the text or whatever because you're like oh cool a video an ad or whatever um but with genies it's like the exact opposite because it's this like extreme connection to it and this like cognizance of how you're taking in the sort of trauma that genie is talking about and the the person that genie is talking about that I think sometimes um yeah when you're like with with perfume genius because his music is so um personal in a sense I think it can feel really like it's important to acknowledge how close that is I guess and and that person beneath the surface and and to kind of acknowledge that when you're like just listening to it and your headphones or whatever that you are like witnessing this person and witnessing this like self-presentation and I think um yeah so for Jeannie that like really made sense to me that that's what she sort of how she decided to interact with that and the same with Perry that yeah hers is about like performance and so and her relationship to performance as well as Perfume Genius's performance and so the creation of that that poem with the video of her performance is really like made sense as a way of responding to it not just by commenting on it and not just by like describing it necessarily but by sort of directly trying to acknowledge it I guess yes, and yeah it's that, a very moving piece yeah and that for for all of our pieces probably not that many people who were reading them uh, necessarily went to the actual performances, <laughs> you know, they're in like quite small spaces and it's happened afterwards. So they can't read it and then decide they really want to go and see mm. it. And so I think um, as well, like creating pieces that people could react to, not just um, uh, as the like, this was good. Oh, cool. Next time Perfume Genius comes, I'll go see him or whatever. Um, but as like, this is how it felt or this yes. is like the, yeah. this is, you know, the yeah, that that the intertextuality, I guess, rather than just a comment on or something, I think um, was really important. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that um, not all our responses weren't always um, super. So, some of them were, some of them weren't. They weren't always uh, super personal, but I do feel they were all very intimate. Mm -hmm. Like um, the second performance, I really, really struggled to connect to. Um, and really struggled with. Uh, but then when we workshopped our pieces, I felt like... Did you, you worked, chopped them more together? Was yeah. That, that was part of the process. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, that was a workshop run by Alison Crogan, which was uh -huh. fantastic. Oh, wow. Quite, yeah. Um, rigorous. <laughs> um, but reading... Other people, like reading Adalia and Piri's responses to this performance that I just couldn't find my way into at all, felt like suddenly, I, I don't know, suddenly I, I felt kind of floored by it. <laughs> and, like, I think that's, um, yeah, I think that's a really exciting thing that kind of more uh, experimental approaches to criticism can offer as well, like that intimacy you've you've um you've kind of ceded space to others as you um said your your goal is is to do so um but that's it's interesting because it it sounds Ginny, like you're uh, of of the three the three of you the most kind of interested in uh in conventional arts criticism and um well maybe perhaps not actually responding conventionally but in in arts criticism um is that am I kind of you can you do you see yourselves as period is that a goal for you 
Uh, I wouldn't say arts criticism mm. per se or specifically, but I am interested in criti criticism or like critical thinking and yeah. critically responding, unpacking, going deeper than what's being said. And what was interesting for me as well was realising that that can be done and that I actually am embodying that and and creating that without realising that I am, just because it's not in the way that I imagine that it should be. Yes. And that's definitely something I picked up from here when I we had the workshop that Jeannie was talking about um, for the climate change one. And I was like, oh, um, yeah, I don't really think this is like a critical piece. Or I don't think this is arts criticism. And then Alison Crogan's like, yeah, it is. And then everyone else was like, yeah, definitely. It really, really is. And I was like, oh, yeah. To be clear, Alison Crogan didn't say, no, yeah, it is criticism. She said, yeah, it is. And it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I think that, I think it's hard because because criticism has these kind of double meanings um, that I think it's difficult to, to navigate. And especially in the days of shrinking arts pages and yes. all of that kind of yeah. thing, um, that sort of it tends, criticism tends to be reduced in the minds of most people to like critical as in mean, <laughs> I guess, or not necessarily mean, but as in like um, a response that is like very good bow technique, very good sound projection, very bad leg positioning or I don't know. Um, I don't really understand dance. Um, but that kind of like... Um, You're going to that find that in dance reviews now, sort of everywhere. <laughs> very poor leg positioning. Yeah, that's right. Um, I'm a reviewer of dance, I'm available for hire. Um, but no, I think you kind of... Um, or like a Goodreads review, not that I, I love Goodreads and use it very unhealthily but there are like a lot of goodreads reviews that are just like this was terrible i didn't understand it <laughs> and it's like okay or just like this is terrible this is good or like how you know rating like dante's inferno as three stars or whatever and it's like i mean i also i don't i mean i haven't read dante's inferno but you know like what does it mean to rate this canonical text as three star three stars and what does it mean to like give a rating to something a thumbs up thumbs down kind of yeah, rating yeah um and I think that yeah there's like a lot of like experimental critics in the more um lo loose sense of the term I guess in terms of like Hilton Alls and Maggie Nelson um and Wayne Kostenbaum who are writing these works that are very much responding to and drawn from and intertextual with these other works be it of theatre or film or other books um but that don't necessarily um evaluate it in any way don't necessarily give a like and this was what I liked about it mm. um but a more um of a diagonal look and I think that that's what all of us really are, are more perhaps interested in in terms of um yeah what you what you come out of a concert or come out of a play feeling, um, not just like thumbs up, thumbs down. But like, like the emotive response aspect of the yeah. performance, yeah. Yeah, and I think especially in like classical music, um, which is like becoming increasingly niche and increasingly, I mean, maybe not increasingly, it always has been very um, high culture discriminatory white men kind of thing. Um, I think that, I mean, yeah, that I'm uh, not, like, 
to say this in a like way, but that I'm like very much like a very trained musician. I have like a lot of, <laughs> you know, a lot of the language and I have spent like a lot of time doing that thing, but that I still found it very difficult to actually trust myself enough to actually say what I thought or to um, write down stuff about the music that's still mm-hmm. this like, um, there's this kind of like, I think um, sometimes the way that classical music gets talked about is to intimidate other people out of it or to create it as this thing is that, you know, this is a good thing and, of course, you don't clap between movements and, of course, you don't do this and Mm. don't do that. Um, And I do know all those rules and that's still really intimidating and that's still, like, coming away from a performance being where, like, oh, it was great, we didn't clap between the movements (laughs) or anything, like, you know, that that's not, like, a a lot of, um, yeah, especially classical music criticism is very much about technical aspects that to most listeners are completely irrelevant like you can't really tell or you can tell but you don't know that when someone is saying they have poor bow contact what that translates to emotionally and what that translates Mm. to as a listener Mm. Um, well I think you've done a beautiful job in um in your piece of 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 melding I guess um some of the kind of uh, more musically literate notes that you managed to pick up uh, yeah. about, um, and bow technique comes in <laughs> into it, obviously, <laughs> um, with with a more personal point of view. But I guess that this sort of, you know, one of the questions that's asked um, um, in the uh copy of this event was how can writers respond to artistic experiences in ways that expand and extend the value and impact of the artistic work Um, and I suppose it was my sort of I'm showing my sort of age talking about splitting off uh, traditional arts criticism from arts writing Um, but I guess I'd love to know you know how you feel that that you you can or expand and extend the value. It's very hard to write artfully about people making art. How do you sort of make an art form of that? Because um, you're sort of you're, you're you're always bound, aren't you, by whatever genre you're working in's limitations and and strengths. Um, I think uh, I think well, maybe I think. Ooh. <laughs> okay, hang on. We'll get there. We'll get past those two words. I think uh, expanding the idea of authority has been something that this residency has really offered me and something that I think is really important in writing um, in writing excellent and interesting and engaging arts criticism. Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, I think, you know... It's, it's okay and generative and positive to come to, say, a classical performance uh, from, from the point of your own authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think doing so can, like, empower other people to, to you know, interact with yes. worlds they wouldn't yeah. usually yeah. Uh, either have access to or f- or feel they had access to. Yeah. Um, I don't know, what what do you guys think? Ooh. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I agree with, with that last point. Um, well, everything you said, but, yeah, that um, it was kind of something I, f- I feel 
happen without really realizing it until you pointed it out. Like that agency that, yeah, I can I can be in this space or, or people that may not normally feel like, even though I have been in like concerts and stuff before and even classical, more classical, traditional style, but there's always this like lack of agency, like, oh, should I, can I really be here? Or can I really speak on it? Because I'm not trained or I don't know like all these technical aspects or I'm not, yeah, it's not really um, a conducive space. But yeah, the, the question, original question, it's, it's a big one and I probably will have a bit of, yeah, what do I, what do I want to say on that? And I'm sure I'll be unpacking it for a while because that always happens. Mm. I, I'm a big th and deep thinker and so I'll say something now and then I'll be like, oh, and then all this other stuff and then two weeks later. Um, but yeah, I, I was thinking about a bit more about the, the responses and what um, I guess this question is looking at is, is how, how do we create and, and add value to, to the art that we've seen in our writing. And I think you have. So, you know, mm. I th and it shows the, um, the breadth of experience people have, your, your three different responses. Sorry to cut you, cut you off then. No, no, that, that's fine. Um, yeah, I, I, and then I, I had a, a train of thought there that was, was probably going to be so eloquent and made so much sense. And now it's just sort of... <laughs> that's my fault. Fizzled a little yeah. bit away, but... Um, yeah, um, I was glad that we could bring the emotive responses to, to me it was, was looking at not just what has, like sort of what G both Jeannie and Adali were touching on, but not just what happened in the performance or what were the te technical aspects of the art, but what did it bring out of us? You know, what, what responses did it bring up? And it was kind of almost a process of responding to responses. So each of the perform performances kind of had themes around them. And then it's like, you know, for me, I was looking at like with Perfume Genius, as we talked about, he, the trauma was one of those themes. And then it's, um, and it was performance as well. And as a performance artist, for me, it was about, oh, um, you know, the body and the body as a performer and the, the body as, a, as an audience member, as a, as a watcher, as a viewer. And then also um, how, performance of trauma you know how, that's an, that's a I thought that's an interesting space it's like we are this is something so personal but here we are on the stage opening it up for everybody to see and we are we're mm. embodying and performing it mm. and and what does that mean you know and so um the ability to explore those and I, I also thought about um criticism when uh Adali was speaking on that and and what what has that word become or what are the connotations and it's it can it's kind of has a potential to go astray and become something negative or it be thought of as something negative. But I think criticism translates also to like opinion, commentary. And that's where I was like, when I talked about the piece that I didn't realise or didn't think was criticism, I realised it in the aspect of how it translates to commentary on life mm. and experiences. That's where, um, that's, that's where it's been critical in that sense because it's, it's giving opinion and commentary. Um, and that's what I hope that, yeah, the, the works can elicit, like, causing that sort of thought further than the piece, but into these broader themes um, about, about life and about our experiences. I, th I think especially, like, not to harp on, but I think especially in the classical music world, having um, responses to music that can be, like, diagonal rather than if that makes sense rather than like just a straight onward kind of like this is you know they played this the strings were out of time or you know the 
this is kind of what happened um, is would just ma- make it um, so much more both like accessible to people in terms of that um, yeah I think people are supposed to kind of just sit there and feel, feel like they sit there and understand what's happening and feel overwhelmed by the innate emotion of this Beethoven symphony or whatever and I think that having um, having a relationship with with music um, which I think the um, Melbourne Recital Centre through this program and also through some of the more um, sort of experimental programming choices they make that aren't just traditional like overture, symphony, soloist or whatever kind of thing um, gives an opportunity for people to interact with it in a way that isn't just sitting there taking it in, noticing mistakes or whatever. And I think that that's like generative for both audiences in terms of just creating audiences that are you know, that even if you go to a classical music, even if people go to classical music concerts and are like, oh, yeah, that's all right, like making, like, younger and different backgrounds of people who aren't necessarily, like, trained in it just, like, be like, oh, this is an interesting way of responding to things. Yeah. You Which know, is really like, crucial to yeah. the, the, the longevity of yeah, the that, like, centre. You don't have to yeah. respond to Shostakovich knowing, like, oh, all of the background of the how he fits into the Soviet revolution or whatever kind of thing that you can just listen to it and um and think about whatever <laughs> you can do, but I, I mean you yeah. know you don't want to throw the, the baby out no, of the no, definitely, water, but that either. but that it doesn't have to either be background music or intensely studied you don't have to look at mm. Mahler on the mm. score or on your phone as you listen to it kind of thing you can well you um, can do that I can see that so <laughs> that's where like um you know. but that um yeah but that it can there can be ways of interacting with music that aren't just sitting and having it at you until you apparently understand it. Um, And equally that for performers, it's not just about getting something perfect. It's not just about like playing the same notes until you have the Mozart violin concerto or whatever um, perfect. It's about um, creating something compelling in, in other ways because I think that often, I mean, yeah, certainly like of performers that I find compelling, they're not necessarily always the most polished players in Mm. terms of like, yeah, I have one friend who's I think an incredible piano performer, but in terms of like polish, she often gets wrong notes and I can often pick them out. Even if I don't know the piece that well, I can sometimes say like, oh yeah, okay, you screwed up a bit in that bit, but that's all right. Mm. But I still Mm. find it more compelling than some people who are maybe more like get all of the notes because it's not about creating a compelling performance. It's not about connecting to the piece or connecting to the audience. It's, mm, it's, yes. it's about some yes. mutual good. Yes. That yeah, and some sort of transcendental, yeah. I guess, in the writing and in the performing that yeah. you're, you're aiming. I yeah. remember um, one of the artists in, that I interviewed last year was um, Carla Blay, who uh, was a... Um, a is a, um, a jazz legend and... Um, uh, she's 80 or in her early 80s with arthritic hands and she sort of said to me one of her favourite pianists had lost a couple of fingers but, you know, you, you whatever you've got, you put that into the performance and um, uh, that was really sort of striking that sort of uh, its feeling as well as technical yeah. skill. I wanted to... Um, I guess wrap wrap up a little by saying or asking you a final question. I'm I'm very moved by the um, idea that this opportunity has given you a, a, a burgeoning sense of of your own authority and a sense of permission to actually um, 
uh, write uh, write about um, cultural experiences that might not have necessarily felt like they were in your remit. And I just wondered, with this gift, what you you know, if you've got any kind of plans of what what might come next. Period. Do you have a sense of you know something you might take take away? That's a huge question. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No pressure to no, talk about no, the amazing <laughs> upcoming project I have. No, um, it's okay. I guess it can just be a yeah, sense or yeah. a feeling or something you'll feel you'll carry carry away in your in your bag. Yeah. Um, I think it's because it's it's still so present. Yes. I, I probably haven't thought much yes. about what, no, what, no, you're, where, you're still in where process. it may go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I guess. Definitely, at least that's that seed. That seed of the agency I can mm. feel was one of the takeaway things in the proverbial purse, you mm. know, that I'll carry. Mm. And uh, I think that will assist at least in terms of when I'm facing the next the project. That reminding or the reminder that I have the the right, I have the agency, and I have the voice, and I that I can I can write this or I can speak to this, uh, be it a topic or a space. Yeah, so I think agency for me then. Mm. Jeannie, have you got a... Um, yeah, certainly uh, kind of an expanded sense of what authority means. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my friend Adolfo, who writes, who edits for Archer and Metro magazine, uh, is an incredible film critic, said a little while ago, I think they wrote on Twitter... Um, that, you know, a critic's job isn't to say whether or not something's good or bad, it's to position the thing and to position the critic and then to position the critic's response to the thing, just to give in. It's information and it's biased and it knows it's biased. Yes. <laughs> and it's talking about that bias, mm. which I think is very true. But I think another thing, uh, yeah, I think the thing that I've learnt over the course of this residency is that criticism can also just show people that art is a space of play, um, that they can respond on their own, on their own terms mm. and that that response has, you know, if it, is, if it is considered and earnest, I guess, um, and in good faith, that response has merit and that's something I want to keep pushing, that sense of play, I think, <laughs> in my work. Talia, do you yeah. want to add anything? <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I would probably, I would say many of the same things. Um, I guess, yeah, as a as an editor, I guess it's also, um, yeah, it makes me want to commission more work from more people who maybe wouldn't traditionally um, think of themselves as being the right person to write about something and trying to push more people to um, also engage with, like, yeah, to, to also engage with art forms that um, they might feel underqualified to talk about um, and to try and sort of, uh, yeah, create that as a, as a space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to now open this out to the audience. Uh, if anyone's got a question, then I believe there's a microphone um, and it will come to you if you gesture in a critical or a non-critical way. <laughs> Thanks, Izzy. 
yeah, this and is Izzy, for the benefit of also, the podcast should, people. And, and let's and let's introduce you, Izzy, to the pod, the, the thousands of people <laughs> who are going to be listening to this podcast. <laughs> this is Izzy is the director of the Emerging Writers Festival and is um, you know played an enormous part in, in getting everybody. Um, uh, here on the stage, so thank you. It's so wonderful to hear the four of you in conversation. It's really, Sorry. it's really great. Um, I am wondering, um, you've all taken these very experimental um, approaches in in terms of form, um, and I'm wondering about, I guess, the musicality of the approaches that you've taken, and what you would draw out of, like, literally the music itself in terms of how you decided to to structure those works and you're welcome to speak to the the second pieces that you've been working on and they'll be up online um, in the next couple of weeks as well so folks here can can read them too um yeah I guess I mean mine has like a literal musicality in terms of that I have a musical component to the first um one of my pieces and yeah and that came out of out of as I said that sort of um, emotional point in sound that I wanted to try and try and recreate. Um, but I think also, um, definitely the, the texts, or not the texts, I guess, sorry, I'm <laughs> the pieces of music, the, the concerts, um, definitely inform the way I wanted to write about them and, and, and definitely just sort of musicality generally very much informs, um, my sense of prose as a writer and as an editor in terms of I harp on about like rhythm <laughs> which is just like such a like I feel like probably as a writer it must be such an annoying edit to get to be like mm, I think the rhythm of this sentence is better if we leave out this word or whatever and that it's like what does that mean there's no like grammatical reason that the rhythm of this sentence is better or whatever but that I definitely hear it as a um a, a pulsing or the way that things push forward and that um yeah, for certain for certain concerts, it's very um, there's like a disjointness, and for others, um, and and sort of the vignette style makes more sense, and and for others, it's sort of more of a single push. And I think that yeah, that makes sense for other kinds of writing. Yeah, I I, I don't think I thought too much about the music per se like in in when in terms of how I responded whether that w was used as a basis for a structure it was um yeah purely a a response to the sounds and what did that produce and how and that's what informed the structure um in in I'd say both the pieces I didn't really um yeah base that on, on the actual musicality of the performance but similarly to Adalia, the musicality of the text, I think that was, it was a different musicality. It was the one based on, I'm not sure, like I feel like there's not really rhyme or reason when, I, when I'm listening, whether that be in my head or when I'm reading a piece out loud as to if it's sounding right in that rhythmic way. Um, but there's just some innate knowing, I guess, when you, when you feel that that's, that's right, you know, that's got the right flow that I want or it doesn't. And I guess I used that um, compass to to inform the structure of the pieces. Yeah, both the Perfume Genius and the Climate Change one, so, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, 
Um, not sure. I think um, one of the other nice things about working in hypertext is uh, there are things you can... Uh, for example, there is a word, there was a word I misheard in um, one of the songs, like quite a crucial word. And with hypertext, I could just present that on the page. So you click on the word and it flips between the two. And I don't have to present a hierarchy there uh, where it's one sentence with one word and one sentence with another. Um, so I think like in that way, hypertext was a form that made sense for uh, for like the fallibility of like an oral experience. Um, and being able to control the, or not control, but guide the way people read on the level of sentences and sometimes even words um, felt, yeah, felt very pertinent given uh, what I think was, I would describe like the Perfume Genius um, concert as like, meticulous like he, he performed with his like like Hadrias performed with his whole body did not respond at all to audience noise it was so like not not inaccessible or alienating but it was so poised mm. um and that was like reflected in the music but also in what in everything that happened on stage and I definitely wanted to try and capture that you did, Sense. I think. Yeah. Oh, thank no, you. No, no, there's a, there, it does have a sort of meticulous quality, <laughs> the, the text on the page. It's sort of stripped down like it's poetry itself. So, oh, Thank yeah. you. I also think that the navigability, um, the closeness to which you have with Perfume Genius and that you've listened to his music so much mm -hmm. and, and, um, and, and the way that we listen to music in terms of like on devices and skipping around through songs and, and choosing when we want to like re-listen to something or hear something differently. I think that um, that's something that's so exciting about the hypertext form that you used is that it has that sense of, of that relationship that you have with his music, even if that's not always explicit of the like, oh, I listen to my iPod and go, and like, but that um, it, it creates this very subtle um, version of that experience and, and version of that uh, close relationship that you, you have. Thank you. Um, thank you for such generous responses, Adalia, Jeannie and Piri. Uh, I'm not sure that we do have, do we have time for another question? I think we're, we've got, oh, come on. All right, come on. Let's do it. <laughs> yes, I loved, um, I love listening to that last bit, because you took me into your creative process rather than the interface with the world where you go to open up the criticism and expand rather than reduce. But I love this last bit about the music and the sound and the body and the sensation. And I have picked up, I think, a common theme of transcendence. Um through what you've said tonight. So you talked right at the start of when the strings play and you're in the group, you feel the transcendence, even though you're not part of an orchestra now and you've taken a different pathway. And you talked about trauma and transcendence. And you talked about challenging uh, authority, which is a big theme for you. 
and challenging power. I think through trauma. I think you actually said through trauma. Did you? You don't know. I think you did. So I was wondering if you could just tell me a little bit more about your relationship to transcendence because it's not really what the critical world is particularly on about. And I imagine it, 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 the critical world wants meaning and um, purpose and um, understanding. They thrive on that. But your creative process, which you opened up just at the end, and I wasn't fortunate enough to see your performance, so I'm hungry for that. Mm -hmm. um, it talked about transcendence, and I gather each of you has a relationship to that in your internal life, and I'm curious. Really curious. So the question is around... Talk to me about, talk to me about your relationship to transcendence. What's in our your relationship to transcendence? In your, cre in your creative process. You said trauma um, transcends. It was, yeah, I, I'm not sure if it transcends. I'd say... Um, I guess it, it comes down to what is the meaning of transcendence in this context. I think that it's how I'm thinking of it is when I bring myself to the place of what happens between seeing the performance and, and coming to create a product or create a response, it's, it's almost like an emotional um, springboard. So there's a performance, there's an arts piece. And if you like, if you like the word transcendence would come in there, seeing the arts piece and then moving into the emotional state. And it's from the emotional state of the response to, the tra to that performance that I produce and I feel like in this case we all produced after having that emotional response. We came from there. So I, I'm, I'm not sure if that's answering. Yeah, and that's, where, that's, from, that's the place from where we got to our creative pieces. I, I think in a way that, that all art is... Um, or much art uh, is kind of a transcending or an attempt at transcending um, in that it's sort of about um, trying to use something that isn't real to create something that maybe is or that hints at something that is, I guess, um, you know, that like, um, or like dialogue in books, for example, um, people will often say like, oh, what great dialogue this writer has, but that... Um, Janet Malcolm in a afterward to the journalist and the murderer has this section where she shows how she actually puts dialogue on the page and what the transcripts of her recordings are and that the transcripts of the recordings are just um, completely gibberish like and not that and she's sort of like if I wrote these direct transcripts you would say that this this person would come off as an idiot but that how dialogue actually sounds is like this it's not as structured as we are in writing and that I think that um, you know, you know, sort of that. That's a one example of dialogue in terms of the I'm reality. Sure, this of, won't need to be edited. Though. <laughs> the, yeah. the reality of the reality of dialogue um, and the reality of conversation versus um, a representation of dialogue and a representation of conversation, and um, and that a, a, a exact transcript wouldn't necessarily feel as real or feel. Um, you wouldn't connect to it in the way that you would to a representation that isn't that isn't actually that. And I think that yeah, similarly, and I think that arts criticism really highlights that relationship, um, especially something like this where it's um, a piece of writing ostensibly in relationship to a piece of music where those two mediums are so different. And then 
you're trying to connect one medium to the other medium and both mediums to reality. And I think that um, that in, in a way that kind of um, shows how, yeah, shows, shows the way that that's sort of transcending what it is that is actually there to create something else. And I, I think that, yeah, in terms of what we produced, I think they all, that especially in being so experimental with form, we probably all had an, an experience of like a, of trying to transcend something and, and trying to create. And then I think a moment of transcendence can sound a little bit, um, I don't know, it, it can come off a bit pretentious or a little bit, you know, um, I, I don't know how to describe it, but, you know, sort of being like, I have this great moment of transcendence and I'm just utterly changed by this thing can feel very um, unreal. But then I think that in a way that's what we're actually trying to do physically is sort of transcend one thing to create another and that arts criticism um, is, is highlights the, that a lot. I think we're we are all you know coming to concerts and reading about them as to, in a way to be um, transformed or transported somewhere else. So that that makes sense. Janine, do you want to? Uh, yeah, say I have a funny relationship with transcendence. Um, I wrote a thesis on I wrote a post-structural account of lyrical subjectivity. There you um, are. I'm a big post-structuralist. I'm also a poet, so I'm very interested in. Um, failure and the failure of language um, and not in a nihilistic way but in like the beauty of the attempt and what is left <laughs> if if communic if we can't ever communicate anything perfectly but we're all constantly trying like what what's happening there? Like what kind of alchemy happens that means we still all bumble on in mm. our lives, mm. um, completely failing to communicate anything <laughs> at all? <laughs> um, and I think, uh, yeah, I think um, there's something very beautiful in that um, and something quite freeing and, yeah, I guess transcendent in in the exploration of like that space of imperfection and failure um, that I, yeah, again, I, it tends to come back to play for me, which I think is like a radical act and a radical approach to take to um, art. Uh, yeah, so I think that's, that's my relationship with transcendence. It's a, it's a great question and, and yeah, yeah. I, I, I wish wish the three of you um, transcendental and bumbling and playful and serious um, arts writing in the future. Thank you so much for such um, vivid, generous responses. Um, I think that everybody should immediately um, go to the Recital Centre's website and look up Sound Escapes. And I'd like to thank the Recital Centre for the opportunity to talk about these things. And uh, for all of you for, for coming out this evening, thank you very, very much. <laughs>